Welcome to Third Floor Views, a production of Chesapeake Family Life, where we talk about health, education, and living with kids. I'm your host, Janet Jefferson. This episode is sponsored by Annapolis Pediatrics. For more than 70 years, Annapolis Pediatrics has provided exceptional health care to infants, children, adolescents, and young adults in Annapolis and the surrounding communities. They have over 30 physicians and nurse practitioners to serve your family and now in six locations, Annapolis, Crofton, Edgewater, Severna Park, Kent Island, and Pasadena. Learn more about Annapolis Pediatrics and find helpful parenting resources, videos, and more at annapolispediatrics.com. So today we are talking about 10 at 10, the surprising childhoods of 10 remarkable people. And joining us is Carlin Becha, award-winning author, illustrator, graphic designer, and content creator. Thank you so much, Carlin, for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Carlin, let's get started. So first, let's start at the beginning. Can you tell us just a little bit about your new book, 10 at 10, um, what, it's, what it's all about? Yeah, thanks. Um, so 10 and 10 is a book that focuses on what famous people were like when they were 10 years old. It does go into biographical details of later in life and before, but the primary focus is when these people were 10, because I felt a lot of biographies, they kind of skip over those formative years. And I wanted to give readers an idea of of you know what Einstein was like when he was 10, what Frida Kahlo was like when she was 10. Definitely. So who is this book for? What, what is the age range that you're, you're hoping to capture? You know, I always say a good book captures all age ranges. Absolutely. So it's, it's an egotistical answer, but I really <laughs> hope it, it captures all age ranges because, you know, young kids can look at the pictures. Uh, of course, 10 year olds, I'm hoping they will relate to these stories. Hmm. And then, you know, adults, they might learn something about some of these people, what they were like when they were 10 years old. Mm-hmm, definitely. So what is the goal when you were writing this book? What were you hoping that readers were going to be able to take away after they read it? You know, this, this book came out of, I, I saw this, um, this survey and they asked, they asked kids what they wanted to be when they grew up. You know, it's a, it's a question we all get asked when we're young. And I was really disheartened with the answer. The answer was social media influencer. Oh, and it, wow. Yeah. It got me thinking that there's so much pressure on kids these days to be exceptional at a really young age. I and mean, you see all these, these kids becoming child stars on TikTok and YouTube. And, you know, here's the thing where I kind of undersell my book. These people weren't all that exceptional at the age of 10. They were going through hardships, definitely. But they were pretty average at 10. And I, I want kids to understand that, that they, they were average people who became extraordinary. Hmm. Sorry, my headset keeps falling out. No, no worries. I got, I got small ears. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's such an interesting conclusion to, to draw and yet so important, I think, for today's kids. Because as you said, the pressure is is so 
great to feel like you have to really do something big or that you, you need to be famous and you're watching all these other people be famous right now. But thinking about these people who actually made a huge difference in the world, whether it, whether it be an artist or an activist like Frida Kahlo or, or someone like Einstein, who's really, you know, moved science forward in a, in a revolutionary way um, to think that they're just sort of normal 10 year olds. I imagine is really refreshing, really like, oh, okay, I've got time to figure it out if you're a kid and you're reading this book. I imagine it does take a lot of the pressure away because then they're finding these incredibly famous people really relatable, which I think would maybe be super unexpected from a, from a 10-year-old's perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think that's why a lot of books skip over those formative years because mm. a lot of people, there were so many people that I tried to research, like I wanted to do Frederick Douglass, but I couldn't find any information about him, you know, when he was 10. Um, I wanted to do Truman Capote. And it turns out that he was kind of a, um, a jerk at the age of 10 and there wasn't a lesson. <laughs> so, I mean, there were, there were so many people that I researched what they were like when they were kids and they just didn't have the right message that I wanted to get across to kids. Mm-hmm. So that was one of the, the challenging aspects of it. But I do hope kids take get that takeaway. I do hope that, that when they're done reading it, they realize, you know, Bruce Lee was kind of a punk. You know, he, he wasn't this you know, philosophical controlled fighter. He, you know, at 10, he was, he was a bit of a punk and Albert Einstein didn't have it all figured out at the age of 10. So that's what I'm hoping the kids will take away from this. I love it. It's so, it's so realistic, which is again, as I said before, it's it's just really refreshing. Um, So how did you decide to write this book? Cause I love this idea of, of 10 at 10 and that these are sort of hidden stories that you've come up that you've researched. Um, What really propelled you to write this? I actually love telling this story because it just shows you to keep your ears open. My agent actually came up with the idea for this book and authors get this a lot. You know, they'll have friends at dinner parties, whatever. They'll go, I have a great idea for a book. And you, you brace yourself because you're like, Oh my God, this is going to be, I know this is going to be awful. And I had one of those moments where she called me up and she said, I had a great idea for for a book. And I, you know, I braced myself this is going to be bad. And when she told it to me, I, I said to myself, that is an exceptional idea for a book. And I just, I just, you know, went with it. That's- so you can, you can get your ideas from other people. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> when you are normally coming up with these ideas on your own, or when you're thinking about like, oh, this is going to make a good book or not, what to you makes a good book? When you're looking for ideas or thinking about them yourself, what are the components that you're like, oh yeah, this is going to be a good one? You know, honestly, I think it's really hard to predict trends. I think Mm. the way to approach it is because, you know, it takes a long time to do a book. I mean, Mm -hmm. some of my books have taken five years the way to approach it is, are you excited to write and illustrate this book? Because mm. if you're not excited, you are going, I almost think you have to approach it from selfish reasons and not try to predict what the market is going uh-huh. to like, because nobody really can. But, you know, you do know what I'm saying? Just yeah. when you hear an idea or, you know, think, or you come up with an idea on your own, you have to be super passionate about it, or you're not going to have the energy to see it through. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure it's so much easier to write. I can't imagine writing something, slogging through it that you're, you're not excited to write this, the amount of yes. work that goes into that. It, it, it would be not, 
not fun. And I imagine that that's, that's particularly helpful is to make it enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So you talked a little bit about how you chose who to include, um, but I'd love to hear more about it. You said that some people were hard to research um, that you wanted to include, but then it just didn't work out. Um, how did you end up deciding on which 10 people to include in the book? You know, the, the people that are in the book are kind of strange choices. Like I have Andre the Giant. Everyone's like, that's a strange choice. And the reason why I, all the reasons why I chose the people were, were based on what I think kids are going through at the time. And Andre the Giant went through the worst puberty that you could possibly think of. Like imagine at 10 growing into a giant and being in pain and, you know, being so different from everyone else. And when I read his story, uh, you know, of what he was like, he was 10. I'm like, that's something kids can relate to because every kid in that prepubescent age is, you know, is feels awkward. Kids feel awkward at that age. So here was a man who felt awkward in his own body. And I think that's something that kids can really relate to because we all have that awkwardness at, at a young age. Um, and then, you know, some, some of them had to overcome handicaps like Frida Kahlo, you know, she was in a, a terrible accident. She had polio. I thought that was a, a good story, how she overcame that. Um, let me think, uh, Albert Einstein was, God, he really gave his teachers a hard time. And I think <laughs> there's always a kid who doesn't want to listen to authority. And we tend to squelch that in schools, but I would like to see that encouraged more, that creative thinking, that questioning. I mean, it's kind of a fallacy that people say, you know, Albert Einstein failed, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. Albert Einstein didn't fail anything. I mean, he was extremely intelligent. He did fail tests when he didn't study from, but, you know, his intelligence was there from day one. Mm -hmm. The reason why Albert Einstein was getting kicked out of schools is because he kept questioning his teachers. Hmm. And then it was not allowed. They had more like more rogue memorization. And I fear a lot in schools that we're moving back towards that where we're, we're focusing, you know, on standardized testing and all that. And we need to really get kids focused on critical thinking skills and to always question, especially now in the internet age where, you know, there's fake news everywhere. So every time they hear something, they have to question that source. So yeah, every... Every story that I chose, um, Raven Wilkinson's a classic story about overcoming racism, you know, something that this this country seems to never heal from, but hopefully we're moving in the right direction. So every story, I think you will look at it and go, oh, okay, that's 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 an obstacle they had to overcome. And it's obstacles that are that kids, I hope, will be able to relate to today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I think, you know, everybody goes through through puberty and, um, you know, everybody has some sort of school experience where sometimes they don't agree with their teacher. So I think those are, are very relatable things that, that kids who are 10 could definitely feel like their experiences as well. So this is a personal question. What were you like at 10? Oh, I got to answer this honestly in case my mom's <laughs> listening. I was such a brat at 10. I mean, really, I used to run away all the time. I, I think I started running. My, my parents have this picture of me. 
um, when I was six years old, tramping through the snow with a Holly Hobby suitcase, because I would tell them I was running away so often that eventually they just started taking pictures of it and document it. <laughs> like she's running away again. Look, So yeah, I, I definitely, you know, I, I wasn't a horrible scene. I didn't do like drugs or alcohol or anything like that, but I was definitely had sass. So <laughs> I tend to be attracted to people who also have the same sort of sassiness. <laughs> Absolutely. So when you were running away, did you ever make it very far? You know, I would get to the, there was woods at the back at our backyard. I would get to, tears in my eyes, like crying, like you don't love me, like so dramatic. I would get to the edge and then I would turn around and then tramp through the snow back. <laughs> Meanwhile, my father's like clicking away, <laughs> thinking it's hilarious that I'm running away yet again. So yeah, that's my honest answer. <laughs> it is such a good reminder though of at least for us parents that, you know, our kids have such big feelings and such big emotions. Um, and that's true really of, of all kids. And then, you know, as part of childhood is learning how to, to manage those and to put them into a more productive, um, place where we can move through them and forward. Um, but, you know, thinking about kids reading this book and trying to relate, like your story is so perfect because yeah, like the, I'm sure every single child has had a moment where like, I'm done, I'm done with this life. I'm going for a new one. Um, so it's, that's a great story. While you were doing your research, I was wondering if you noticed any common themes of the different challenges that you saw that the that your 10 were having, just thinking like, okay, these, these 10 people were so famous and so um, revolutionary in terms of, you know, our culture and our society. Was there anything that you saw at, as their 10 year old selves were growing up that they were facing that there was like, oh, these common things that tended to happen, or maybe they all had this common trait or um, some, something that you were like, oh, this is interesting uh, that tended to push them forward to be a, a big change maker as they grew up? Yeah, that, that's a really good question. I've never asked that before. You know, I there's this, while you were speaking, I was reminded of this picture of Frida Kahlo and she's in a man's suit in the family photo and all her, um, a lot of people have probably seen this photo. All her sisters are dressed up in these like, you know, really frumpy gowns and here's Frida Kahlo in the suit. And I think a lot of the people in this book, they kept on different identities, trying to figure out who they were. Hmm. I, I mean, obviously Frida Kahlo went on to not wear suits. Kahlo got her identity stripped away from her. So, you know, there was, I think the commonality was they kept trying on these different personas and then seeing what works. And who they were when they were 10 is totally different than who they were as an adult. Hmm. And that's because they were willing to take those chances, trying on those personas. Hmm. That's a really interesting answer. So thinking about this from the parent's perspective, giving my children space to really explore different avenues. And as you said, try on these different personalities could be a really, really good thing in terms of their future and that they could figure out really who they are and what they're comfortable with and what directions they want to go in. And, and I think that's so true that kids often do this. They try on these, these different ideas, whether it's a very physical thing like free to wearing a suit or, or something else that's maybe a little bit less, less obvious. Um, that's, 
that's a really interesting thing. So as parents being aware of that and, and supporting that as your child is, is sort of struggling through who they want to be and where they want to go. Yeah, definitely. I mean, cause our kids will change so much and 10, um, you know, I, I first dived into the psychology behind this 10 is supposed to be one of the most formative years. Uh, so who they are when they, what they're really grappling with at 10 is their space in the world. And they're looking around and, you know, now it's, I don't want to sound too preachy, but I don't see kids getting a lot of good examples from, you know, from the internet and social media. So I wish they would read more biographies. You know, that's, mm. that's my main intent with this book to try to really get them interested in biographies. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. That's I, yeah, that's a really interesting point with that thinking about biographies and thinking about your own research, as you were learning more about these individuals, you had mentioned at one point that some, some of the people you were hoping to include were really hard to find information on. Uh, What was your technique or tactic as you were doing research? What sort of resources were you using? So when I do research, I start with basically, it's kind of a weird way to approach, but I start with videos and documentaries because I'm such a visual person. Mm. So I try to get the scope of the person's life uh, in a broad sense first, and then I drill down. So I I usually watch documentaries and then from documentaries, I read books. And then from the books, I delve into primary sources. And Mm. I love when I can find letters, like letters are so telling to snoop through someone's letters because a lot of times when they wrote them, they didn't realize they would be saved for history. So you're getting the most honest, you know, perception of of who someone is through Mm -hmm. their letters. Mm -hmm. When you were looking at letters, some of the letters that you came across, mostly who were they to? Were they to significant others or boyfriend, girlfriends, or were they to like their mother? Who were the letters to at the time? Well, you know, Einstein left a lot of letters and he also got a lot of funny fan mail. But what was interesting to me about him is he had such a sense of humor, you know, oh, really like a wry, like devilish sense of humor that comes out through his letters. And Frida Kahlo, like, I mean, I have uh, in my notes, I've saved all the quotes from Frida Kahlo's letters because she was so poetic. You know, the way she wrote was a lot how she illustrated too. She's got this sort of surrealism in her writing. Hmm. And, um, uh, you know, Frida Kahlo's diary is, is a book now. Um, and just to delve into her diary is, uh, it's fully illustrated. It's fascinating to look through her diary. Oh, that must be beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, so thinking about, about you as an artist, um, what is your creative process? So when you're starting a new book or a new project, um, what do you start with? What do you do? And um, how, do you, how do you actually produce a piece of, of art or a piece of, piece of work? So I work in kind of a weird way. I work digitally, but I start with traditional media. I start with pencil and paper and I scan it in. And then I paint my own textures and incorporate those textures into the art. And then I use vectors in an Adobe Illustrator to create. It's almost like I describe it as working with paper, hmm. um, you know, like working with cut paper, except it's digital. Hmm. So Yeah. And I work differently for each book. Like if a book wants more of a painterly feel, you know, I'll, I'll use more paintbrushes, but this book, I wanted a real sort of graphic novel feel because um, there's timelines going around the text. And in order for that to look clean and readable, I needed those sharp 
flat colors. So this book um, is a little less painterly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, I know that sometimes you are illustrating um, for your own writing and then other times you're illustrating for for someone else's. Um, Do you do you have a preference? Do you find it easier to illustrate for your own writing because you already have this vision in your head? Or is it um, really fun to illustrate someone else's words because it's almost like you're given a prompt, you're given a task and then you get to run with it however you want? Yeah, I mean, I I prefer to to illustrate my own work. Uh, I have to really love a manuscript to mm. want to illustrate it. Um, I'm a big history geek, so if something, if my agent sends me a history manuscript, I'm I'm probably gonna want to do the project. But more modern stuff, eh, probably not as much interest in it. But you know, one of the things that's wonderful about being the illustrator is when you're the, both the writer and illustrator. I can change my writing to fit my illustration and change the illustration to fit the writing. And that doesn't happen as much when there's a separate illustrator and writer, you really hold on to your darlings. I'm much more likely to kill darlings because (laughs) I'm like, well, I got to put, I need art here. So this whole paragraph's got to go or, you know, vice versa. I need more text. So yeah, I really enjoy that process. It make it sounds like it makes you a lot more flexible um, mm-hmm. in terms of where you you take things um, and and maybe it into I love the the, the phrase killing your darlings mm-hmm. uh, in terms of thinking okay nothing here is sacred and this is sort of for the good of the book the good of the reader where is this really going uh, it's almost like the book um, takes on its own life and and you're you're moving it forward through that process. Um, yeah. That sounds really exciting. Yeah. If, you know, if I have any writers listening, one of the pieces of advice that I always give is when, because, you know, it's hard to edit your work down. What I always do is I have in my notes a, um, a sheet called deleted. And so I'll cut out whole sections and I'll put it into that deleted file. And that way it feels like you're not really killing them. You could mm-hmm. resurrect them if you wanted to, mm-hmm. but it's, it's a way to make the, the editing process feel a little less visceral. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, not, yeah, you, you have your, your safety line that it's, it's okay. Um, what other advice would you have for kids or adults um, that are interested, interested in illustrating or writing? So with illustration, I really think that you have to practice, practice, practice and start really early. And, you know, I tell, when I do school visits, I tell kids this all the time, copy, like it's okay to copy. Um, they've, they have this a lot of pressure on them. Like they'll, you know, you see kids say, oh, you copied that. That's good. If you copied it, that's how you learn. Um, so, you know, that's one of the pieces of advice. I definitely embrace digital technology kids these days. Um, you know, my daughters tend to she tends to be a little afraid of technology. Mm-hmm. And I always keep telling her, I'm like, you have to get over that because, you know, technology is only going to get more intense. It's not going to, we're not going backwards. Mm-hmm. So I always tell kids, and you know, you actually don't have to tell most kids this, they have no problem embracing technology. <laughs> <laughs> it's the adults that, <laughs> that struggle. And then with the writing part, um, I recently had a school visit where I talked about this read, like reading is so important. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they've done so much research on the neuroscience of reading, reading, not only increases your writing abilities, it increases your ability to think mm-hmm. like reading actually makes you smarter in everything, smarter in playing sports, smarter and, you know, play in music, smarter in everything. It's mental gymnastics for your brain. 
Mm, that's always good to hear. Um, one of the things you just mentioned in terms of technology in encouraging kids to get involved with that in terms of um, illustrations, are there any programs or apps or, I don't know, things that you would recommend to parents or kids for kids like that are around 10, sort of thinking about maybe your, your children's age, what's worked for them and what you're encouraging your daughter to use? Yeah, you know, I'm always careful with this question because a lot of kids can't afford the technology that I mm. use. Um, if they can't afford like a lower end or a used iPad, there's a program called Procreate. It's like $7. It is amazing. Like there's, I'm just amazed that you can purchase a program for $7 and how much you can do with it. And when I go out to the school visits with the affluent kids, you know, they have iPads and they have um, all this software. With the kids that can't afford that, you know, pen and paper still works. You know, it's still totally. you're still learning. Yeah, definitely. Um, so for you, what is next? Uh, what are you working on now, or what are you looking to work on soon? Um, now that Ten at Ten is sort of out in the world, what's your next big project? I'm actually thinking of doing an adult book next. Um, I'm working on a book. Um, it's called Seductress. I, I haven't even pitched it yet. So this is brand new, but it's all famous women in history. And it's sort of a biography, but it gives modern dating advice. I write for medium and I give <laughs> love and love and dating advice. And I, I thought it would be interesting to go back in time and look at all these famous women who were, you know, great seductresses and what, what their secrets were, because I found that it hasn't really changed modern <laughs> times <laughs> at all. Like the same rules apply. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm working on right now. Uh, that sounds really exciting. I'll definitely have to keep my uh, eye out for that. Well, thank you so much to thank Carlin you. Becha, who is author of 10 at 10. Make sure you check that book out. Thank you also to all of our viewers and listeners today and our sponsor, Annapolis Pediatrics. Make sure that you visit chesapeakefamily.com for up-to-date local information on home health and living for today's Maryland parent. This episode will be archived on chesapeakefamily.com in both video and podcast format. I'm Janet Jefferson with Chesapeake Family Life and Third Floor Views. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.